here we go. Acts chapter 2, verse 40. The Bible says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is on slide number six. The apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't it interesting that out of fellowship, not a program, not a big evangelistic program, not, uh, you know, some great revival, Azusa Street revival, which all of those things are very good, but out of fellowship, God began to add to the church daily. God began to add to the church daily. I remember a quote from Francis Schaeffer, who's a uh, well-known evangelist. Patty, you know who I'm talking about. Um, European evangelist uh, back in the early 1900s, I think, uh, 1800s, 1900s. And he said that uh, the way that we treat each other, basically, our, our fellowship, Christian fellowship, is really the indicator of if our message is true or not. In other words, Christian fellowship is the last apologetic. Christian fellowship is what the world looks at. So we can talk all day long. We can talk a good game. You know, we can say how many scriptures we know. Uh, you know, we can speak in tongues and lay hands on people and people can get healed. And all of those things, miracles, signs and wonders can happen. But if our fellowship has a crack in it, then the world is going to look at us and say, your message is not true. Because what is it about? At the end of the day, it's about relationships and it's about people. I know it seems to some like a dead horse, but I want to tell you that it's an alive horse. I mean, that's something that we all need to remind ourselves of every day. All that the Holy Spirit did, think about Jesus. When, when, when Jesus walked the earth and uh, he healed people, he taught people, he cast out demons, all of those great things he did, he didn't do all of those things just to bring attention to himself uh, it just so he can say, look how great I am. He did all of those things for the people. It was all for people. Think about the Holy Spirit. How, what do you think of when you think of the Holy Spirit? I mean, we're, a, you know, a Pentecostal church. We're a charismatic church, if you will. And there's uh, many of those who believe in, you know, the move and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and all of those things. What do you think of when you think of the Holy Spirit? Do you think of something, a wild service or something crazy or people handling snakes or, you know, speaking in tongues, doing backflips? Uh, I don't know what it is that you think of. I know when I was young, uh, you know, and I went, I went to a church called the Holy Spirit Center. 
Okay, so you can imagine what took place on Sunday morning. I mean, it was why it was the typical, you know, black gospel, whatever you want to say, church. And I mean, it's not just that it's black, any uh, Pentecostal church, you know what I'm talking about. UPC, you know what I'm talking about. We just, uh, you know, the move of the spirit and, and things were pretty wild on Sunday morning. And that was, my, that was my view of God and the Holy Spirit and the way the Holy Spirit moved. That was the only way I knew that the Holy Spirit moved. It was just a mighty rushing wind. It was just wild time and people were out of their mind and people went crazy. You know, but one of the things that I realized is when I see the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit fell on those disciples and apostles in the upper room, and every time the Holy Spirit moved, even when people were healed or spoke in tongues or whatever it was, the end game was for people. It was for the people so that they would know Jesus, so they would be saved, so they would be healed, delivered from sin and those things that so easily beset them, so that they would be able to live the abundant life that Jesus talked about he came for. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. It is for you and for me. It is about people. And so when you begin to realize that, when your focus changes from the extraordinary and all of those things that happen and that being the end game, you know, all those things happen. And it's beautiful when the Holy Spirit moves in that way. But you have to realize that's not the end game. The end game is so that people will be healed. If the Holy Spirit moved right now in this service and people, and we played music and people were going crazy and speaking in tongues, but nobody was healed, nobody was saved, nobody was delivered, I would tell you that it wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was us just having a good time being emotional, right? And it's not that the Holy Spirit doesn't do that, but when the Holy Spirit does that, there has to be signs and wonders. There has to be an end game to it. It has to be where people are actually healed. And so it's, it's amazing to me that out of fellowship, God brings and adds people to the church. It's all about fellowship. There's this word I want to throw at you. Some of you know the word uh, very well, koinonia. Koinonia, and it's an ancient Greek word out of an ancient Greek language that's not used anymore. But this word koinonia, really at its root, uh, it, it really deals with Christian fellowship, but it talks about phileo fellowship, fellowship at a heart level, right? It talks about um, fellowship where you think of others more than yourself. It talks about fellowship where you have a desire. It talks about fellowship where it's not you're going to church to check something off your list to say, hey, I went to church this week. It's, it talks about a fellowship that's a desire. I want to be there. I miss the people. And no matter what color, no matter what who they are, old, young, whatever, uh, I, I miss the people of God and I need that fellowship. That's what this koinonia is and that's what we just read about in Acts chapter 2 verses 40 to 47. They had a koinonia fellowship. Only a koinonia fellowship will drive you to sell all of your possessions and bring all the money together. Come on, so that everybody has all things in common. Only a koinonia fellowship will do that. That's not to say that we have to do those things today because we follow the Holy Spirit. Whatever God tells us to do today, that's what we're going to do. Remember Mary, whatever he says, do it. Whatever he says, do it. You know, Jesus, my time has not come yet. <laughs> whatever he says, do it. And whatever he says today, do it. And so that's what's birthed out of this koinonia fellowship. In verse 42, it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. 
Fellowship was just as important as the teaching. Fellowship was just as important as the music and the worship. Fellowship was just as important as integrity and character and all of those things and preaching. Fellowship was just as important. If you have all of those things but no fellowship, you're lacking. You're lacking. There's a historian, Wayne Meeks, he said once, one peculiar thing about, the early, Christ, about early Christianity was the way in which the intimate, close-knit life of the local groups was seen to be simultaneously part of a much larger, indeed, ultimately worldwide movement or entity. In other words, what you see, it, we, we might think, well, just because, you know, Sister Sharon and I are at odds, or Virgil and I don't see eye to eye. That's okay. That's just one person, and I'm not thinking about him. I don't have to apologize to him. He didn't have to apologize to me. If our relationship is fractured, that's okay. I got all these other people. But what we don't realize is each relationship is the building block to the body of Christ together. And if one is fractured, the body is fractured. And I don't believe we look at it that way. We're willing to sacrifice a few relationships for what we call the greater good, not realizing that those few relationships make the greater good. We have to start where we are, with each other. Koinonia fellowship is what we're talking about. Koinonia includes all believers, all believers, all those who profess Jesus Christ. Close relationships aren't automatic, folks. <laughs> I know this and I'm learning this. Close relationships aren't automatic, but a direct result of time. See, this is, what, it, this is where, this is where we, get, we get tripped up sometimes. Because we say, yeah, I, I know, I understand what you're saying, Brother Mike, koinonia, yeah, we need to have fellowship. Let's have an agape feast and let's eat together and, you know, let's do all of those things. But we, what, what we don't understand is that sometimes that's not enough <laughs> because a koinonia relationship uh, is a result of time, energy, cultivation, and get this, involved risk. There's a risk involved when you put your heart on your sleeve. There's a risk involved of offense. There's a risk involved of you offending others. But that's why there's a thing called grace. There's a thing called forgiveness. There's a thing called mercy. That's why, because we're human beings, we are going to disappoint each other. I'm not making a negative confession here, but what I'm telling you is that we are human beings and we will disappoint each other. It's going to happen. But that, because we're not perfected yet. And that, that's why we have grace and mercy. And that's why it takes time. That's why it takes energy, cultivation, and involved risk. Koinonia is the glue that binds us together. It's the glue. If we don't have that, we're not bound together. If you wonder why, why is our church fractured? Why are these relationships fractured? Why is the, the, the universal church seem to be fractured? You can go all the way back to koinonia. You might talk about doctrine. Doctrine separates us. Doctrine does separate us because some people believe in speaking in tongues. Some people believe in water baptism. Some people believe in oneness. Some people believe in trinity. That you can name 25 things that different people believe in and all of that. And, I, and I'm not saying that they're not important. They're all important doctrinal things. You know, they're all important doctrinal things. But if you go back to the basics, you'll find that koinonia. If there's not koinonia there, that's really why we're fractured. Because we can get over those other things. We really can we can, get over, we can get over offenses, we can get over disagreements, we can get over different interpretations, we can. If, 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 if we say, look, I don't want to be here so that I can prove to you that I'm right, Brother James. 
and you can prove to me that you're right. But I see it this way, you see it that way, but both of us really want the mind of Christ. If we want that, we can get over any disagreement. We can get over anything. I clearly see it this way. I don't know what you're talking about, Mike. Read it again. It says that. This is what it says. All right? We have this disagreement. But if we have a koinonia relationship and we want the mind of Christ, we can, that, that won't mean anything. We can get past that. That's what God wants us to have. That's how we have to look at this thing. Koinonia involves unconditional love, of course, and acceptance. I like what Brother James always says. I'm about inclusion, not exclusion. Creating a climate of acceptance and openness. That doesn't mean uh, that we lower the bar. That doesn't mean that we compromise. I always say that. I want to remind you, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about acceptance where we compromise. But I'm talking about people may not look like you. People may not worship the way that you worship. I mean, some, church, some churches may have uh, coffee and donuts in the sanctuary. Well, I just can't believe that. Well, they can't believe you don't. Right? But how does that, why does that keep us from Jesus? Why does that keep us from each other? Right? Koinonia involves true honesty with humility. That's the thing. That's why I threw that in there. Koinonia involves true honesty with humility. Uh, you know, I said this before, I'll say this again. You know, some people, they got the right scripture. Uh, they, and, you know, they, they've had the right experience. And they're going to tell you what the Bible says. And they, they, go, they can quote it too. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. But if you tell it without humility, Jesus never did that. You know, the only time that he ever did that was to Pharisees. Come on. Those who were devils. <laughs> he only said that to the devil. But to his people, he never, he never reacted that way. He corrected plenty of times. Oh, he corrected Peter. Satan, get thee behind me. He corrected, but it was always with humility. It was always so that the other person would grow and be closer to him. That was the point of it. So it's got to be with humility, true honesty with humility. Koinonia involves restoring the fallen, stumbling, weak believers because the church is devoted to one another. You know that the Bible says, Paul said this very clearly. He, he talked about... Um, you know, people that, uh, you know, correct others. And he said, you know, when you, it, he said, when you correct, it, you, if you, you who are more spiritual, what did he say? You who are more spiritual, come on now, correct those who are less spiritual. Bring them in, bring them back into the fold. Don't turn your back on them. That's not why you're here. It's not what you're here to do. Koinonia involves wise confession and cleansing, removing offenses. Koinonia involves heartfelt encouragement and availability it involves encouragement if you remember our last series we talked a little bit about encouragement and encouragement doesn't always end with uh, speech you of course we can give encouraging speech I just want to let you know that I'm thinking about you I'm praying about you you can do this you can pass that test you can get that job you can do it I just want to encourage you sometimes it's going further than that sometimes encouragement means you need to take action means you need to have some skin in the game. That's where the time, come on, and that's where, uh, you know, the, the involved risk uh, it comes into play. Encouragement. We need to do that. We need to encourage. And then koinonia involves open houses, hospitality, house ministry. What am I saying when I say that? That means koinonia means it's more than just here on Sunday morning. This is great. I love to see all of you on Sunday morning. 
Uh, it is a wonderful thing to come together when the believers come together and praise God. And uh, we have great time in worship and all of those things. Uh, I love all that stuff. And, uh, you know, it's great when we have, uh, you know, different things, uh, you know, First Sunday, we have food, and, you know, we have agape feast. We have agape feast on the schedule. I get agape feast on the schedule. I especially love agape feast, uh, you know, in particular. And, um, but, you know, all those things are great. But when you have koinonia, it involves so much more than that. It involves sacrifice during the week. You know, maybe there's, there, there's a need for small groups. Maybe we need to sacrifice and come on out on Wednesday nights. Maybe we need to, you know, attend some classes. Maybe we need to call each other on the phone during the week, not just on Sunday. You know, it's, it's interesting. I find myself guilty of this. On Sunday morning, I say, well, how are you doing? Well, you know, uh, you know, this thing happened and that thing happened and so-and-so was in the hospital. I didn't know that. Yeah, dummy, you didn't know that. If you would have called him during the week, maybe you would know that. Maybe if you had a little more koinonia relationship, you know, I'm talking to myself now. I'm not talking to you. Now, if the shoe fits, but I'm not talking to you. You, you know, you can take that if you want to. I'm talking to myself. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we, it has to, we have to go the extra mile. We have to go the extra mile. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. I, I was uh, reading this book called The All Better Book. And uh, actually, what, what this book is all about is it, it was a, a teacher asked these elementary school kids, all right, uh, how, you know, how, what would you do to make the world a better place? And they got to this one question about what would you do uh, because there's so many lonely people in the world. You know, there's more lonely people in the world now than there's ever been, according to a Barner survey. And that doesn't mean that uh, people don't know each other or talk on Facebook or, you know, Instagram or whatever it might be. But uh, loneliness is not just being alone. Loneliness, you could be with somebody and still be lonely, right? And so there's more loneliness now. And so this teacher asked these kids, uh, you know, what would you do? What, what are your thoughts toward loneliness? And so Max, age nine, he said, what we need to do is make food that talks to you when you eat. For instance, it would say, how are you doing? And what happened today? That's, that, was, that was Max's uh, response. Matt said, we could get uh, a people a pet or a husband or a wife, and then that thing could take them places every day. That's what we need to do. Everybody needs a pet or a husband or a wife. Kalani, age eight, said, people should find lonely people ask for their name and address, then ask people who aren't lonely their name and address, and when you have an even amount of each, assign lonely people to not lonely people together, and you can do that even in a newspaper, she said. So assign people together. And Brian said, sing a song, stomp your feet, read a book. I like that. There's an article in the Chicago Tribune that said, uh, somebody wrote, said, I am lonely in the mid-1990s, true story. Marla Paul, a columnist for the Chicago Tribune, wrote a, a personal article entitled, I Am Lonely. She, she, she entitled it, I Am Lonely, and she said in this article, this loneliness saddens me. How did it happen? I could, be, uh, I could be 42 years old and not enough friends. How is that possible? She asked her husband if there was something wrong with her. She wondered if people uh, were just too busy to be friends. It seemed uh, as though every woman's friendship quota had been filled, uh, right? And she's no longer uh, accepting new applicants. So, you know, I can't be that person's friend. I can't be that. And she wondered, perhaps there are women out there who don't know how lonely they are. It's easy enough to fill up the day with work, but it's not enough. So Maria Paul concluded her column, I recently read to my daughter, Hans Christian Andersen's The Ugly Duckling. I felt an intimate 
kinship and an immediate kinship with the bird who flies from place to place looking for creatures to whom he belongs. And he eventually finds them. Hopefully, I do too. The columnist seemed to strike an unexpected nerve in people. People stopped her at work while shopping at her daughter's school, and they said, You too? I thought I was the only one. Letters came in from homemakers, CEOs, all over the true story. The column elicited seven times her usual amount of mail, and the letters all had the same thing. Why do I feel so lonely? Why is it so hard to make good friends, and yet it's something that most people don't like to talk about? It has a stigma about it. Loneliness tends to be associated with losers. There's more lonely people today than there have ever been in life. And you say, well, Brother Mike, you say there's more lonely people. I mean, well, what causes that or how can we fix that? You know, the thing about it is, and we should know this as Christians, it's not a hard fix. It's really not a hard fix. Now, it takes time. I'm not saying that's not hard. It takes effort. That's hard. But the fix itself is not hard. We can talk and listen to one another. Talk and listen to one another without judging. Come on. Talk and listen to one another. Mother Teresa once said, loneliness is the leprosy of modern society, and no one wants anybody to know that they're a leper. There's many lonely people that people don't know that they're lonely because they don't want to talk about it. Loneliness could very well be one of the biggest challenges facing America uh, and really the world. There are millions of people who are getting a lot accomplished, but they're connecting with no one. Why? Because they're lonely. And so the church has the answer for this thing. It's this word I'm talking about, koinonia. It's, 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 it's more than just saying, hey, how you doing? I love you. It's being invested. We need to grow this Acts 2 community. John 13, 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. Key word in that whole thing is as, really. Key word is not love. Key word is not commandment. The key word in that whole phrase, that whole passage, the whole scripture is as. Love one another as I have loved you. How has Jesus loved you that you also love one another? Paul said to the Romans in chapter 12, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, that's phileo, in honor, giving preference to one another. 1 Peter 1.22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another, watch this word now, fervently with a pure heart. Fervently means you have to put some effort into it. It, it. it means you don't just sit back and say, hey, if I see somebody, I'll tell them I love them. No, it means you seek people out. You seek people out who are unloved. You seek people out who are lonely and let them know that God loves them and so do you. Galatians 6, 1, 2, brethren, if a man, here it is, is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, turn your back on them. No, you who are spiritual, restore them. Restore such a one in, in a spirit, watch, of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 15, 1, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. You getting his theme here, the Holy Spirit's theme, how we're talking about the Holy Spirit isn't just about speaking in tongues and, and healing and delivering. The Holy Spirit is also about showing love. 
Holy Spirit is about witnessing. You can't even witness without the Holy Spirit. Come on. And then Hebrews 13, 16, but do not forget to do good and to share with, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. I've heard this, you've heard it before too, and I, but I love the statement and the more I hear it, the more I know that it's true. All that we need to know about life, we learned in kindergarten. What did you learn in kindergarten? You learned to share. And now here Paul is telling us, share. Be good to one another and share. Hebrews 13, 16, he says, share. 1 Peter 4, 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Be hospitable. Do you see how he throws those other things in there? Be good to the other person. But he also, without grumbling. Without grumbling. I know, mirror, hello, because I could be the nicest person in the world, but I know Dietrich hears it. Yeah, but you know, I, didn't, I had to call her again. How many times? Grumbling. <laughs> Without grumbling, he tells us to do that. The church is called to create environments where authentic community can take place, building relationships and transforming communities where people can experience this word, koinonia. Koinonia. If you don't take anything else today, take this word koinonia. Look it up. Get it in your heart. Understand that it's just more than attending uh, meetings, attending church, attending a Chi Alpha meeting or attending a Bible study or attending whatever it is that you might attend. It's going beyond. It's what, what relationships do you make there and how do they further? How, how can you take those relationships further? I don't know if, if you're like me. I know I used to be like this uh, in particular. I love going to things. I love meeting people. But now if you want to go further, uh, now that's just bothering me. You know, because I got some other stuff to do. But I'll come to the event. I'll meet people, maybe even exchange numbers or email or whatever. But if we're going to go, now we got to talk all the time. And now we got to go out for coffee. And now I got to hear about all the things that are going on in your life. And now you're asking me about all these things that, that are going on in my life. And I don't feel like talking about it or telling you what's going on. Hey, koinonia. Coin, it's what we're here for. It's what we're here for. Koinonia.